Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading this morning is from Galatians. Galatians 5, 1 and 13 through 26. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, we are considering the theme of freedom. Uh, And I'm curious, if y'all were to have a picture of freedom in your mind, what might it be? It might be a picture of children running through a school on the last day of school right before summer, throwing, emptying their folders. Maybe that's your idea of freedom. Or maybe it was the idea of freedom that our country finally experienced and is still trying to live into. It began in 1862 when emancipation took place. Uh, Recently, my idea of freedom happened in the Charbonneau family after two weeks of COVID quarantine. We finally came out of it, and I was like, play date anyone? You want to take our kids for a while? Uh, you know, it's been a fun season of life for us. Uh, gosh. But as we come to this fifth week in this, in this letter to the churches in Galatia, we come upon this idea of freedom, this theme that Paul begins to really hammer on, is this idea of us exploring what freedom could mean. So it begins with verse 1 in chapter 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So the work of Jesus is that of freedom, of deliverance. God does not want us to be subjects, to be peons, to be people who are playthings or machinery. God has given us deliverance in Jesus, has given us freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Through the, the work of Jesus in his life and his death and his new life, again, what we have in that 
we have been set free. We're no longer chained to painful cycles of destruction that sin often provides. We're no longer chained to that old way of life. We have been set free. But when you read this verse, it almost seems redundant, right? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Well, of course he's set us free to be free, right? But I wonder if what Paul is pointing to is the fact that we have this proclivity to trade one experience of slavery for another, one experience of being under bondage under a system or regime into another one. Um, Jesus did not emancipate, deliver us to simply be enchained all over again. This reminds me of a friend that I had who had a pet chicken. I went to Texas A&M University, so people have pet chickens there. You know, I guess that's what we do. And uh, he would tell me a story about he had a chicken that he would tie to, uh, from, uh, uh, to a pole, and this chicken would just walk in circles, walk in circles over and over again. And he said, the funny thing is, if you would take off that rope from this chicken, it would just keep walking that same beaten out circle. It just would not realize that it was set free. And in many ways, that's a picture for us in our life. What, what Christ has done for us and in us has given us deliverance to be who we were created to be, this expansive life, and yet oftentimes we live as if we are still chained. We're still bond, uh, in bondage to the same worn-out routine, the cycle of life that we would hope to be experience freedom from. So in this chapter, in this difficult chapter, Paul, he toggles between two opposite enslavers, two experiences of slavery. And uh, he uses two words to embody those enslavers. There's like two different ditches on the opposite side of a narrow road. And the two words are law and flesh. And the interesting is that both of them have this capacity to enslave us, even though they feel incredibly different from one another. First is the idea of law. This is the idea that we can be enslaved to a life of rule keeping. Rule keeping of keeping the law in hopes that the if we do it well enough, that we would experience God's favor and love. And the picture of that is like God is like a withholding parent. God is like a withholding parent that's just waiting for you to prove that you deserve love and affection and attention. And so our life, if we live like that, is anxious. It's prone to shame. It's prone to anxiety of like, when is it going to be enough for me to the scales to tip over into God's favor and love. And this is what Paul says about a life where we seek to justify ourselves by moral scorekeeping. He says this in verse 4, You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. Like you, you have removed yourself from Christ, from this connection to Jesus, and you have fallen away from grace. This, that, that type of life is a ditch on the side of the road because it alienates us from the experience and the dependence upon grace. The only way that we are made right is because we have a Savior who says that we are loved. We're good enough as we are because that is God's view of us in Jesus. This idea of living by the law is something it seems like 
we get set free from and yet we choose to go back to. We have these pictures in our religious life of scales that are, are tipping, hopefully, this idea that maybe we could be loved by God. Or another image that we often hear in churches is us being dirty and being washed again and having to return to God to wash us again and again. And this idea is we will always be dirty people. And what we see if we have that picture of that we are filthy, dirty people in need of returning again and again to have Jesus just temporarily wash us off. What we begin with that experience is so much of our salvation is based on us, on how we're doing with that moral scorecard. And Paul might say to people who are living that, is you have been alienated. You're stepping away from the grace of Jesus. He actually, Paul actually has some very, very colorful language in this chapter about what those people should do if they continue to live in that way. It's not appropriate for a family-friendly service that we're having here today, so I won't mention it. But he's saying that like, if you are going to try to prove yourself, it'll never be enough. Christ has set you free. But that idea of law as freedom is not something that we probably think of. It's not our default idea of freedom. I think we're prone to another idea of freedom. So how might people in our culture define freedom? Freedom is what? This is a all-play question. Freedom is what? How would we define freedom? Do what you want. Two points for Luke. Thank you, Luke. What's that? Unbound, without limits. So it's like this idea of being able to do what you want, not having limitations put upon you, not having boundaries put upon you. Um, and I wonder, that, so that idea of freedom is very much more like the default to our thinking than the idea of we're now free to be, fulfill the law, right? Uh, we don't live in that type of culture but I wonder if that kind of idea of freedom actually leads us to the other ditch, to the other side of the road. Um, living for yourself can be a, a subtle enslaver. What I mean by that is this. When we live with the North Star guiding our life is whatever I want, whatever desires I have, whatever my comforts and my longings point to, all of a sudden, the life that I'm living begins to center around me. What do I want now? Well, I'm kind of done with this marriage. It's getting difficult. What do I want now? Well, I'm sorry, my child is becoming problematic. Or what do I, what, what do I want now? I don't really care to serve and give and live with generosity. It's not really what I want to do. This relationship's problematic. They're on the other side of whatever aisle. I don't care to be in relationship with them. And all of a sudden, what becomes your guiding path is whatever you want. It's yourself. And you're free now to do that, right? But I wonder if that kind of living perpetuates more pain and more alienation in our lives. <clears throat> this is what Paul says in, in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But listen to this. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, which is Paul's way of saying self-centered desires self-centered living. Don't use your freedom now to center your life upon your own wants. Rather, get out of yourself. Recenter your life in something else. Rather, serve one another 
humbly in love. And later on, we find, we have this list of what it is, like, what it lives for, means for us to live with our, our flesh, with our selfish desires. And this is great for our family service, by the way, right? Thank you, Paul. We're not going to read through these. I'm, kids, feel free to ask your parents what these words mean later on, if you want. But what's interesting to me is, first off, what, em, what emotions came up in you when Courtney read that verse? Was it like, oh, shame? <laughs> or even for the one who's read it, read it, yeah. Is it like, oh, freedom, oh, this is good, this is a good word? I mean, if it was uncomfortable for you, I mean, it was so tempting to skip over this verse. Um, and what I find that's interesting is though the more scandalous ones are the ones we typically point out, and, and historically with the ones the church has typically pointed out, uh, let's look at the, some of the non-scandalous sins, some of the non-scandalous uh, ways of living that's centered around self. What about hatred, discord? Is the church riled up about that nowadays? What about jealousy, fits of rage? I, I'm like some of you guys, I've been listening to this podcast, uh, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Um, it's super churchy. Don't feel like you need it. I might like saying you should go read, uh, listen to it. But what, one of the, my lessons is our tolerance of certain sin and the weaponizing of the Bible for other things that are deemed um, sinful. Like, for instance, how, like, dissensions. Like, is that something that really should fire us up as a church that, to see how the life of living in the flesh can break people off into smaller tribes or factions or fits of rage or selfish ambition? Selfish ambition. What's interesting for me is all of these types of experiences, they're all centered around the self. It all rotates around self, or Paul would say the flesh. And what he's saying about this, and for those who maybe the scripture has been weaponized against you, or you've heard this weaponized against you, uh, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that even mean? Does that mean that anyone who's experienced selfish ambition, that we have this judgment of hell forever? Or does it mean that we're not experiencing the benefits of what Christ has for us? that we're not entering into the kingdom of God and participating in it here and now. What Paul would say is this is not the type of freedom that Christ has set you free for. There's another type of freedom that's embodied in Jesus. What I would suggest is that Christian freedom is not located in doing whatever you want to do, but the idea of a Christian freedom is it's being able to finally be who you were created to be. You are now set free to be whom Jesus had dreamt for you to be, how God created you to be. You are now set free, untethered from everything that's holding you back. Is a fish considered free when they are delivered out of the water? No. Is an eagle considered free when they're encaged at a zoo? No. Is a 20-year-old bro wearing an afflicted T-shirt free when he's outside of CrossFit or Pluckers? No. That's where he belongs. He needs to stay there. 
Freedom is about being delivered and set free to, who, to be who we were created to be. This is why Jesus is so passionate to liberate people from both empty religion and selfish living to be who they were created to be, which is outward focus. It's God-centered. It's connected in humble obedience to who Jesus is. This is how C.S. Lewis, a Christian author, he wrote in The Great Divorce, he said this, that thing is freedom, the gift whereby you most resemble your maker. That's the definition of freedom. It's when you most resemble your maker and you yourselves parts of eternal reality. When we experience freedom, we, uh, we, we experience the closeness and the resemblance of Jesus and we step into a new reality that goes on forever and ever. Our lives begin to touch that which truly counts. And we become more and more like Jesus. And in the place of slavery to empty law-keeping and self-centered freedom, we are now set free to be created who, who we're created to be. Um, oftentimes when people ask, what is the point of living? Like, why are we here? This is how uh, the Westminster Catechism uh, answered it, is the chief end of humanity, it is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. When, this is the work of Jesus in our life, is that we can finally resemble our maker and enjoy God forever. It's not about you being a slave to someone else or just to something else. It's about you mirroring Jesus and enjoying life with God forever. This is how we become like Christ. It's simple. In verse 14, it's, Paul said, for the entire law, everything. Now imagine for us, I don't feel like we would understand how liberating this would be to have like hundreds of rules put upon you as from, from the Jewish faith. This, this tedious, uh, meticulous keeping of the law. And for Paul to say, the entire law, everything is fulfilled in keeping this one command. And what is this one command? Love your neighbor as yourself. You're now free to not live for yourself anymore. You are now free to fulfill the only, the only law that ever matters, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. To love humbly, to love with compassion and care. Your freedom is found when you can learn to love your neighbor as yourself. You're finally set free to do so. So instead of falling on either ditch of empty law-keeping, rule-keeping, and living for the flesh or living for self, we are now allowed and set free to a new path. And what is this new path? Well, Paul says in verse 16, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So instead of those two ditches, now we walk in the spirit of Jesus, which I know sounds super vague, and we can like make up whatever we want it to mean. But what I mean by that, what I hope I mean by that, is to walk now in this intimate, beautiful connection with the spirit of Jesus, to follow in the way that Jesus demonstrated with this ongoing loving dependence upon him. And as we learn to, to walk by the Spirit, 
Something profound happens. As we day by day are walking by the Spirit, something profound happens. Not only are we experiencing freedom, but Paul starts to talk about certain fruit starts coming out of our life. Certain fruit comes evident in our character and in our lifestyle. So in place of, in place of like this obsessive rule-keeping, we now get to look for the fruit of the Spirit. Instead of a checklist of duty and moral scorekeeping, now we find the fruit of Jesus coming out of our life. And what is that fruit? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against these things Let no law judge you. Nothing should stand in judgment when this kind of fruit is making itself evident in our life. So instead of moral like scorekeeping, we are now dedicating our lives to Jesus and we're looking for fruit, the fruit of Jesus now. We have this fruit test that we should be having in our lives, in our community's life. We should consider the fruit Instead of checking the the moral uh, score box in our lives, we look seriously at the fruit. There's like a, this is my picture of when I think of a fruit test. We are meticulous one by one, day by day. We're looking, is this good fruit coming out of my life? Is it bad fruit? Is it scary fruit or is it helpful fruit? What I mean by that is this. Are we slowly becoming a more peaceful person? As we walk in with Jesus, is the fruit of joy emerging in our life? Am I more gentle today with my words than I was three years ago? Do I have more self-control? I wonder if we should sit with this list and invite God to show us which fruit has been dormant in our lives and which fruit we can long to grow. And even when we look back at our past, Consider the messages and the teachings and the community that we have walked under. There's been communities where I have a certain viewpoint of what it means to be faithful to Jesus. And you look at the fruit of those experiences, and oftentimes it's really bad fruit. Really bad fruit can be uh, come from when the Scripture is misused And even the verses that we read earlier, that list, some really bad fruit can come from that. But what Paul has said here is when the fruit of the Spirit is there, no law stands above that. No law stands above that. And I love how Paul beautifully says that the only thing, he says this earlier in this chapter, the only thing that counts is faith expressed in love. That's the only thing that matters in Jesus' kingdom. The only thing that counts is faith expressed in love. That fruitless is not meant to tell you who you aren't. It's meant to awaken our imagination of who we could be if we are set free in Christ. That fruit does not grow from our striving or effort just like a branch doesn't make fruit by its own effort. 
It only produces fruit by staying connected to Jesus. This is not self-serving. Ultimately, all this fruit points to love. So friends, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So walk with Jesus on the road of freedom and allow the Spirit to create you in ways that you've always dreamt to be in only ways that Christ can make it happen.